As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Raids and Barrels. It's Monday, October 17th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris, still in someone else's imaginary living room. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see my microphone and my headphones keep disappearing. Very cool magic trick that I can do uh, kind of randomly. I can't control it, but I can do the trick. So I guess that's better than not being able to do the trick at all. I have no tricks for you. <laughs> yeah, you're a little bit standing. Which probably, if this was the first time this was happening, you'd probably just think this was normal. You wouldn't see anything wrong with what's going on in my video. So, you know, I'm glad you are aware of what's happening because if you weren't, it would be very confusing. Yes, there's, there it is. <laughs> there's your microphone. Yep, it's here. But uh, yeah, no, I'm back from uh, San Diego, which uh, was crazy. Uh, in the last week, I've been to a Pet Shop Boys concert, uh, uh, went to a Friday night's Padres game, and uh, went to a benefit that my father-in-law was helping throw um, that was literally across the street from Petco at the library. So all the staff that wasn't immediately busy was hanging out outside on the balcony, literally watching the big screen uh, over at Petco uh, for game five. Um, and uh, yeah, I was in the stands on, on Friday. All of it really fun, except uh, I, I got a sinus infection uh, last week before the Pet Shop Boys uh, concert. And uh, have it's been really laying me low. And then I added, oh, this is this was just a topper. So I, I've been getting a little better over time. And Friday, I felt you know, good enough to go to the, to the game. We stop in this nice Thai place. I'm like, oh, you know what? I need one of those. I need a spicy Thai soup. You know, that's what I need to clear up my sinuses, you know? So I drink this spicy, spicy Thai soup, eat some duck, feel okay, get to the ballpark, and the bottom drops out of my stomach. Like, Oh no. Oh no. No 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 no. Where do we go from here? It that 
may have been one of the lows of my life. <laughs> it may have been one of the lows of my life. But I survived. And uh, I'm here now. So that's something. Yeah. The important thing is that you're here. On, <laughs> on this episode, we are reviewing outfielders in 2022. Taking a look back at where value came from, where value might have been lost, kind of following our, our script for the series that we started up just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the outfield in 2022 was kind of a, an Aaron Judge-led uh, situation. Looking at the auction calculator, Aaron Judge was worth $54 in a 15-team picks league in 2022. Mookie Betts, who had a great season, was worth just a tick under 30 by the same calculation. So a massive gap. And of course, Judge had that sort of lead over most other players. There were a few infielders that got up into the mid-30s we'll get to uh, later on. But Aaron Judge was a third-round pick in 15-team leagues. There were leagues in which Aaron Judge fell, and I'm trying to remember why. I, I cannot recall the the most consistent reasoning or arguments against taking Injury. Aaron Judge where he was going. I think it was just injuries. I think it was just the past track record of health. And one of the toss-ups, if you look back at ADP from April, was Aaron Judge versus Whit Merrifield. And then right before Aaron Judge in ADP was Byron Buxton, who also, of course, had plenty of injury concerns going into this season as well. So I could kind of see the Buxton-Judge thing. And I think with Buxton, and thinking about how the NFBC works, we're always looking for the player that also steals a lot of bases. So I could understand how you might talk yourself into you know, Buxton over Judge back then. And then I'm looking at the Whit Merrifield thing, and I'm saying to myself, if I had been in that situation where I was trying to say, do I want the power guy or the speed guy? And I chose the speed guy and it was Whit Merrifield. I would still feel awful about that six and a half months later. Yeah. We talk about how decisions, uh, any one decision probably can't uh, sink or, 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 you know, kill or, or make your team, uh, you know, win, uh, you know, but that one's pretty close. Uh, that would be a massive uh, differential. I looked, looking at my main, I did JTL Real Muto, which is doing something totally different um, in the third. Uh, and the team that won, uh, that ended up second overall in in the entire main, I think, or top three or something, uh, the team that won my league, uh, he took Trevor's story. So... Even not taking Judge and taking Whit Merrifield, if you did everything else right, you'd be all right. But still, uh, I do think that there is something to learn there, which is just the stuff we've been saying, the little bit of speed. Go with a little bit of speed rather than the one big speedster, uh, especially when you know they're projected around that uh, kind of, uh, what was that, the, Z- the Jeff Zimmerman line? Oh, um, the, the low, the, the low OPS. OPS. Yeah. So uh, even last year, uh, you know, Whit Merrifield had a seven, uh, had a 673. Uh, no, this year he had a 673. Last year he had a 711. So he's, he's fairly close to that line um, where, you know, they could even lose their job. Um, but uh, I'm not saying that he's really in that. He's not, you know, he's not, he's no Miles Strong. 
But at the same time, he is in that category a little bit for me. So I, I would never have made that particular mistake, I don't think. Uh, but I didn't I didn't get a lot of shares of Aaron Judge. And I wonder if I'll get a lot of shares of Aaron Judge next year. I don't particularly ascribe to the idea that um, uh, the sort of uh, the, the contract year, you know, the, the you know, I know uh, Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf are, are big on not buying, not, uh, you know, sort of building around players that just signed a big contract. And I don't know if I necessarily believe 100 percent in that. Um, but I think if there is a truth to it is maybe never pay full price for someone that just obviously had a peak year, you know, that, that I think is why that, uh, the way their rule is described, I think is, is a little bit accidentally misleading is that we might assume that the pressure of the new deal causes a player to swing and miss more often early. And I think you've seen some things like that. You've talked about that on the show before, right? The, the O swing percentages sometimes increase for players, players, yeah, traded, traded players, players and, and new teams. Yeah. Like some of that's, yeah. some of that's legit. I do think what we're talking about in this case with, with their rule about the, the big contract new team is more just what you're saying It is watching out for regression coming off of a career year. More likely than not, someone who reaches a peak is coming down at least a little bit. And I think, I mean, even uh, Austin Riley is a good random example of someone who I, I thought was a good player, and I thought I thought we saw the peak already. And sometimes you, you think you've seen the peak and you haven't. That's possible. I think mm-hmm. for what Judge just did, we've seen a season similar to this before, but this was clearly better, and this was historically great. So I think you have a few more markers that make it easier for you to say, okay, 2022 Aaron Judge is not what you're getting in 2023, how much regression do you cook in considering all these other factors, which could include a new team at a new park, right? It could be a lower quality supporting cast. Even if it's only a slight downgrade, it will be likely a less hitter friendly ballpark. Most places if he goes, is, yeah. those things matter, even though Aaron judge is an elite player. Like, so I also think of stolen bases, you know, like he's still 16 bases this year. That's a big part of that value. Um, you know, in full seasons before he stole nine and six, like in 2021, he had a full season. He stole six, six bases. He's more likely to want to protect himself after signing a big deal. His new team might even tell him to steal less. Yeah. Organizational philosophy. A lot of things could play into that. I mean, if you were projecting Aaron judge today, I assume you're projecting 145 or 150 games because the, the types of injuries he's had. Some of them are the bad luck variety. I think he had the broken wrist because of a hit by pitch. So I, I think there's some injury risk, but now we're looking at, you know, maybe like a a B health grade or a B minus health grade at worst for him. There's some so, big man injuries he's had, like back, you know. Right. But 140, 145 games next year, projecting for a neutral location just because we don't know where he's going to play. Are you looking for 35 homers, 40 homers? And it's a huge drop off from 62, but 280, 40, 45, maybe five stolen bases, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe eight. Right. So is that that different than what people were expecting Vlad Jr. to do going into 2022? Mm. Vlad Jr. was a top five pick. Yeah. So even with regression, he's a top five pick. That's a good point. 
don't know. I'm just, I, I don't know how much I'll have him either. Part of that's just landing in the first part of the first round. Part of that is being in a situation where it's in a dollar for dollar scenario. Do you want to build your team that way? Or do you feel better aiming for more $20, $25 players? I well, pushed more toward the latter and had a lot of success with that. So I tend to think there's better ways to build going that direction. I think there's another name at the top of this list that makes me uh, feel better about picking Aaron Judge that early uh, in an interesting way, which is Jordan Alvarez, where, you know, if I didn't get, uh, you know, I have some shares of him, but if I didn't get the shares of Jordan, it was because I was trying to get guys with speed where he went. And that is the benefit of getting uh, a speedster is that you can then balance him with someone like Jordan Alvarez, who isn't going to necessarily steal bases, but is a really excellent, you know, top two hitter in the game. In fact, uh, even through age 30, uh, a top 15 hitter of all time. Uh, That seems like someone you should put on your roster and figure out how to get the steals later. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. So well, even if you project you're on uh, Aaron Judge for five steals, it's not a reason to avoid it. Well, you'd say that in 280 with that power and speed for Judge. And if you look at Jordan for this season, 37 homers, a new career high for him. That was in 561 plate appearances. So if you get that game's played count up another 10 to 15 games, if he gets to 145 or 150, he can probably match Judge right around 40 home runs. He'd probably project him for just a, a few less. Stolen bases, yeah, you're probably getting a zero in that category. Fine. You might get a better average for Jordan Alvarez because he's shown the uh, proclivity to strike out less. Right. So I mean, lower K an, rate. You know, he's like Aaron Judge with fewer strikeouts. Lower K rate, so probably a higher average. Unlikely to get the steals. I'm fine with this. I mean, I think at worst, at the absolute worst, Jordan Alvarez is a late first round pick and probably more of a mid first round pick. He's going to and be one of those guys auction, are always afraid of because he's going to run, but I don't think you should be afraid of him at all. And I, if I'm in an auction, I might prefer uh, Jordan Alvarez to judge. Yeah, because it's going to save you. It's going to save you and might give you an upgrade bucks. later. Mm-hmm. You know, and you still get a first rounder, and that five bucks might get you so that you have two second rounders. Right. You know, in terms of talent level. Yeah, maybe it's a bump from a twenty-five to a thirty, or from a twenty to twenty-five, and, and that could be a pretty big difference. Yeah, or, or you spend that on your on your pitchers, and you and you get a better pitcher. So, um, I'm not saying I'm going to avoid Judge, but you know, you do. There is the the the, the injury history, uh, and there is the, the obvious peak peak year. Uh, it's interesting to me um, that uh, I chose Kyle Tucker for my AL labor squad. Um, and got into a lot of discussions with people online about how Jordan Alvarez was the better hitter. And I said, well, he is the better hitter, but Tucker steals bases, and I think uh, he's the better fantasy player. Uh, by the auction calculator, Jordan Alvarez is worth eighty, and Cal Tucker was worth twenty-seven seventy. dollars So uh, that's uh, maybe a little bit weird if you think of them as hitters, pure hitters. Yeah, Jordan Alvarez is clearly the better pure hitter. But those stolen bases meant a lot. Uh, $6 of value for Kyle Tucker and stolen bases and minus $2.40 uh, from Yonan Alvarez. And with Tucker, I mean, he came in a little light in batting average too. 257 is the lowest we've seen from him in his uh, last 
three seasons I now. And I don't think that has to be. I think there might be another peak season going forward. That's the amazing thing about Jordan Alvarez and Cal Tucker both is they're 25. Aaron Judge is 30. Yep. You know, yeah. so Kyle Tucker may have a 30-30 season in him, and he may be able to, especially when you look at his strikeout rate, do 330-30. So maybe I'll just sign up for Kyle Tucker Part 2. Well, the top 15 right. outfielders, if we look back at April ADP, was Soto in the first part of round one. Harper was a first-rounder. Kyle Tucker, late first-rounder. Trout, late first-rounder. Luis Robert. And Mookie Betts, all with ADPs inside the top 15. Then you had Acuna right at that one-two turn. Alvarez about five to seven picks later. Teoscar Hernandez was up there, also ahead of Judge. But Starling no real Marte. bust. As bad as Soto was, you still you still got 16 bucks out of him. He still ended up being a top 25 outfielder. Uh, as bad as Teoscar, or as, as injured as Teoscar was, uh, you still got a top 25 outfielder. Uh, so was there a bust in there? On this one, a bad bust. I, I mean, I guess so, but so, yeah, because we're talking about extreme. Like in that early part of the first round, you should get a little bit more back from a player than that. Yeah, and Acuna didn't come back exactly as well as people had hoped. Um, those two are the only sub fifteen ADP outfielders uh, that didn't end up. Basically, in the top 15, all right? Let me sort by ADP. Yeah, I can double-check that real quick. I mean, I, Buxton was very good on a per-game basis, but I think he ended up being a kind of, a, after a fast start, a frustrating player to have. And eventually did miss a bunch of time later in the year, too. So I, I think that's one of those picks that looked amazing, and then it looked okay, and it you know didn't ruin you, but you probably wish you'd done something different just because of the amount of time that was was lost to injuries. And then, of course, there was always like this week-to-week concern about the number of games he was going to play even when he wasn't on the IL. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so for the most part, the early outfielders returned well, right? I mean, Ronald Acuna wasn't quite himself, but he stole a lot more bases than I would have expected. If you just said predict power and speed and how those categories were going to be balanced for him coming off the ACL, I would have probably had that flipped. If, yeah. If you gave me the two totals, I would have had them in, in the opposite columns for sure. I think there's going to be some shuffling here. Bryce Harper actually lost outfield eligibility he'll be ut only in 2023 so that's a a bit strange he'll probably pick up outfield eligibility somewhat early in the season i imagine held permitting he'll start playing the outfield again because he's a better outfielder than nick castellanos but 
Um, you may have to go a week or two weeks at least without having him in your outfield mix. I don't know if that's going to cause a mass, like a massive drop in where he is drafted, but something to be mindful of at least as you think about how rosters can be put together. Uh, I do wonder with Cedric Mullins. Did Cedric Mullins have a, a good follow-up year to the breakout? I think we talked about him late in the year. I, I'm more on the side that this was a pretty good follow-up overall, just given how difficult yeah. it is to... We were talking earlier about how difficult it is to hold the gains from a career year. I think he held about as much of the, the good stuff that we needed him to do to say it was actually a successful follow-up season. Yeah, I think he ended up being a good investment. If you look at him uh, on the auction calculator at Fangrass in terms of uh, dollars earned versus investment, sort of ADP. Uh, he beat Tasker Hernandez, Starling Marte, and Whit Merrifield, who were all taken above him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously, Luis Robert, but that's a little bit more of an injury situation. But, uh, you know, he beat a bunch of guys who were taken above him uh, and ended up returning about as much money as Mike Trout who went in the first round. Mm, Mike Trout. Mike Trout, Mike does Trout. Your, does Rotowire yeah. agree? Uh, I've got the Fangraphs calculator open oh. right now. So I'm, I'm going to guess that's pretty similar. I'll pop it open. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a very different uh, set of uh, values, right? Like Trout has become uh, more of a traditional kind of... The batting average is still up, so it's not quite. He's like... a. He's more of like a 300, but he doesn't steal bases anymore, is my point. And Mullins yeah. is more of a five-category contributor. The Rotowire earned values have Trout at 28, Mullins at 26, but same okay. same neighborhood, at least. Yeah. I think the interesting thing with Trout, you know, we had uh, one of our listeners sent us a pretty good breakdown of just what was going on at the time and, and how it was basically that the treatment was going to work and he's going to be fine down the stretch or it wasn't going to work and he's got to be shut down. And there was a good chance that because of the longer term concerns that were initially pushed out there when Trout went on the IL, there might be a discount worth taking on him in 2023. And seeing how his season finished, seeing, seeing how much the Angels played him in an absolutely meaningless games, that was a really encouraging sign. Yeah, that's true. Unless unless they were just being completely stupid, but I don't think no. He talked I don't about think they're that kind of organization. I think they found a routine that worked for him, and Trout can get. I, th- back I think to that's being Trout. I think that was the point too. You know, the point of playing him was to be like, "How's this going to work?" And when Mike Trout came back, I you know I saw him. Uh, he gave a little uh, scrum in Oakland, and he was talking about his health, and he said he found a pregame routine uh, that keeps him loose and keeps his back loose. And I think that was the, that was the point of playing down the stretch was to see how that interacts because he said the biggest thing he wants to do is stay on the field more next year. So basically it was a dry run for how do we keep you on the field with this condition? Of course, I read that same email from the same uh, plucky reader, plucky listener and panicked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh just read all i just like read you know it's so funny with like rose colored glasses or you know i don't know what the opposite of rose colored glasses is panic colored glasses i just read it I, I just read it through that like oh god 
I see him being shut down and then he comes back and he's dealing with this. This is going to be terrible. And uh, that's when I traded him for Quan Hoskins and some other pieces in an effort to win my league. Uh, it's an interesting league, the Pitchfork League. I did win the head-to-head portion. So maybe it was worth it. I got a flag. I got a little, you know, one of those little flags they put in your sandwiches? I got a little. Yeah, I got a little toothpick flag. flags. I got a toothpick flag. Don't However, I lost the Roto. Ended up third in Roto. Mm. So I didn't win both the toothpick flags. Um, and I, I bet you I'm going to be ruining that one. Because now my keeper situation is like, ooh, do I keep Hoskins or Quan? Or it's like, you know, there's like three or four guys where I have to kind of decide. Whereas if I'd had Trout, I'd have been like, yeah, Trout, that's my final keeper. <laughs> eh, well, you never know. Keeper deadlines are funny. I mean, a lot of people have those coming up more like in the winter. They're not right now. I have one league where I have a keeper deadline coming up this week. So there's a, a flurry of, of trade activity. And I think you can you can find in a keeper league especially that people have very different values compared to a redraft league. Redraft league, most people are looking at one of the same four or five sets of projections. And we have this sort of common ground. This is what these players are likely to do. So you know, this player versus this player is a fair swap. Keeper leagues, especially if you're working in salaries, throw a, a lot of that out the window. And then there's also the, is my team playing for now? Is my team playing for the future? So I always assume that I, I, I'm either like locked in on, on these keepers or I always assume that I have my guys all figured out. And then I see a couple of players that pop on the block and I, oh, I didn't realize I could go trade for that player. I didn't think that player was going to be available. Oh, but they're 31, you know, and that mm-hmm. that person's like, ah, oh, this is too old, you know? Right. And I see it. I'm like, I'll, I'll take a year of this player. That's better than the last keeper or one of the last keepers I have. I'll, I'll, I'll pay the extra couple bucks and, and not go into the, the auction of the draft, hoping to uh, find an ace when it's not a guarantee to find one or whatever the situation might be. Um, but with Trout, I think the immediate question is just, well, how much is he going to fall in the early drafts? I assume he's going to be a third rounder for a while. Like he's going to be saw a, some evidence of that even. Yeah, um, I think I think I contributed to it. I think Zola and I took him in the third round of a yeah, teamer. Was, you're saying that yeah. we had that early position, so it, it was kind of at that window where it felt right to take him, and it would have been fun to see how far he would have fallen. We didn't expect him to come all the way back around to us at the end of round four in a 15 team league. That would have been about pick 57. I don't think he's going that far down. I think the range is probably something like. 30 to 45, pretty much the entire third round right now, depending on how risk tolerant each person is. But long term, it's not just the back. It is also the calf. He's had other stuff he's dealt with. He doesn't run anymore. But we're still talking about a player who is a clear difference maker offensively. Went in that home run binge in September. The the, the fact that the power was still there, aside from the volume that he was playing, that gave me a lot of confidence that he is still that player. Without of, speed. And it is interesting to think about it this way, too. He's one of three players in the history of baseball to miss 40 games and hit 40 homers. The other two were Hank Aaron and Nelson Cruz. And Nelson Cruz is the perennially undervalued, oh, that guy's too old, and gave people tons of value at the end of his career. So I think, you know, once you get to the third round, you know, like like I said, the guy in my main that ended up like top three in the overall, he took Trevor's story in the third round. So you can obviously handle some injury risk in the third round. Aaron Judge went in the fourth round. You know, Mike Trout could be not necessarily the Aaron Judge, but that kind of guy that slips too far for the injury risk. 
I wonder if the only sort of the the one the one asterisk to this argument that I'm making is Byron Buxton because he was great and he was great when he was in and yet the injury risk was the same as every other year. He was injured again and he did not return great value on his investment. Here's a, a random trivia question for you. Who has played more games since the start of 2018 between Trout and Buxton? I was just looking at Trout's page, so I know that 2021 really were not good for Trout. Yeah, but who, who played more games from 2018 to 2022 between Trout and Buxton? Trout. It's Trout. It's Trout by kind of a lot. Trout has 482 games over the last five seasons combined. Buxton has 307. 307 in five seasons? 307 in five seasons for Byron Buxton. I love Byron Buxton. I think he's a fantastic player. That is the riskiest of the risky injury profiles. Trout might be C for the health grade, possibly a D plus, like a Tommy Boy D plus. <laughs> but I, I just think the skills are still incredible. So third round, it makes some sense. If you already have some bags, with one of your first two picks or within your first two picks, I actually think you can justify taking him in that range. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if I'm right. If top, where he falls, top twenty-five outfielders uh, that were taken according to the ADP sort on Fangraphs uh, that didn't return double-digit value. Mm. Byron Buxton, you're gonna have to pick one of these at the end for next year. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill, Nick Castellanos, Chris Bryant, Eloy Jimenez, and Giancarlo Stanton. Mm. I think I'm. There's two I, li- I definitely like as target now players for long term leagues and for 2023. I like Tyler O'Neill and I like Eloy. I think I like Eloy Jimenez even more than Tyler O'Neill from just like a long term keeper league perspective. Who do I trust to be a good player longer? I think Eloy is the answer. I think in redraft, the price is going to be even, or am I getting a discount on one of those guys relative to the other? Who do you think is going to go earlier? In redraft between Eloy and Tyler? Yep. I think that Eloy Jimenez uh, still has that like prospect sheen about him a little bit more, whereas Tyler O'Neill never was regarded the same as a prospect and the strikeout rate. So I would actually assume that Eloy goes ahead of Tyler O'Neill and drafts this coming season. Eloy hit 295 with 16 homers in 84 games. I mean, that's great. That's not that far off of the numbers we were I, talking yeah, about. I think for people will look at Tyler O'Neill and say, no, there's an actual problem here. The, the, you know, Eloy was more of just a health situation. Tyler O'Neill was, and people are, will probably look past the fact that Tyler O'Neill did have health issues this year. Um, but they'll probably fixate more on the strikeout rate and say, no, there's a batting average risk here and a health risk. So I, I do like both. If I can only have one in a redraft league, it's probably Eloy Jimenez. Uh, my case for Tyler O'Neill is that the K rate actually improved this year around the injuries. The walk rate also improved. When plate skills improve around someone who hits the ball as hard as he does, yeah. good things can happen. And he, he runs, Eloy doesn't. So 
I think you you look at the Cardinals outfield, the Harrison Bader trade late in the season is really good for O'Neill going forward because any threat to that outfield being too crowded seems to be eased. And he probably wasn't going to be pushed out of playing time anyway. He plays every day when he's healthy. So we're looking at two seasons now where he's been an efficient base dealer. He's shown plenty of in-game power. And now he's shown a slight improvement in plate skills. Right in peak age range. Yeah. So both good. Give me Jimenez over O'Neal. But I like those two a lot more than I think everybody else that you threw out there. Buxton was a part of that group. I don't know what to do with Buxton in leagues anymore. I was a Buxton optimist for the better part of the last five years. I and think now, I like him. I like him. Um, the I like him like the shot. Like I like him in shallow leagues with a large IL. Like especially if you have like a unlimited IL. Mm-hmm. Then I start to like him again. Like if you're in a 12 team league with lots of IL slots, then he makes sense. You know, he's going to be great when he's in, and he's going to be on your IL. Uh, and then the replacement is going to be it's going to be high. So I like him in those sort of situations. But like. He'd be kind of killer in like an AL only, right? Where you you put him in, and then when you go to the wire, like, oh god, what is out there? Where did Tyler O'Neill go in your? I just didn't just to, to finish him up. Where did he go in your early NFBC draft? Great question. Need to look that up. While I'm looking that up, consider this about Buxton: forty-seven homers and fifteen steals in the last two seasons combined. That's in 153 games. I know. I mean, it's there. It's, it's gross. There. I think I, I I agree with you in that I feel much better about him in leagues where it's easy to find players on the wire. I think if you take him in leagues that are deep, if you want to go to AL Labor and go get Buxton, let's just say Buxton's a twenty, probably a twenty-three to twenty-four dollar player. You think where I would next? Year? I would guess. Uh, I, I think. Well, Ian Collins in the league. Ian likes Buxton, and yeah, yeah. he's probably not the only one. So low At to least mid dollars probably yeah. I think you just have to think about the rest of your outfield and the rest of your roster a little bit differently when you take the extreme injury risk players in a format that deep. Like your util has to be an outfielder. Yeah. And you or, have to take maybe a reserve that's an outfielder you think will play. Or maybe or you, you take you, the reserve guy behind Buxton. Like you take Cave or whoever you think it is. It's kind of like if you put an injury score on, on every player and you added up all the injury risk on your team, as long as the cumulative injury risk is below a certain level, it's uh-huh. fine. But Buxton just keeps you from taking a few medium injury risks elsewhere because you can't afford to have that much risk. Like you couldn't put Buxton out there with Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert as your outfit. <laughs> Probably shouldn't do that all from the same position in an AL only. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there's only, there's only two sure. ways that I can go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as for your question about Tyler O'Neill, I got so carried away, I, I didn't even bother uh, answering it. I was just gesturing wildly with my hands and right. getting very excited. Tyler O'Neill in the 15-team league that did Zola just a couple weeks ago was a mid-seventh round pick. That would be pick number 97. That seems very appropriate. It seems what, like a nice discount. are going around there? That was after Eloy in the sixth and Teoscar Hernandez in the sixth and just before Jake McCarthy in the seventh. I didn't think McCarthy would go that early. Uh, Yelich, Corbin Carroll, and Brian Reynolds went in the eighth. Okay, so that seems fair. Those are those are mostly do-everything outfielders. What I like is uh, Tyler O'Neill next to Brian Reynolds, I think, is fascinating. Um, I think Brian Reynolds' range of outcomes is much narrower. Um, And Tyler O'Neill's like ceiling and floor are higher and lower. 
Yeah. So it'll matter a little bit what you did before that. But if you were, you know, and I'm mostly sort of veteran and safe for the first, you know, four or five rounds. I could be really tempted to in the sixth round be like, hey, I've been veteran and safe all the way through here. I'm going to I'm going to take this shot here. Yeah, that's a good range for for that group of outfielders. So, yeah, you're uh, and you can look at you can look at Alec Thomas, you know, um, and I think I would prefer to take the the risk on somebody like Tyler O'Neill. Than Corbin Carroll because I lo- I love Alec Thomas and I think he still has a good uh, future but you know it was it, it was a tough beginning and Corbin Carroll's better than Alec Thomas but he could also you know he had a twenty seven percent strikeout rate like he could have a he could have a stumble next year and still be great in his career whereas I'm reading between the lines on Tyler O'Neill's numbers and being like that's all there for a massive year we have recent proof of how good he can be against big league pitching that, too, like that, yeah. that helps a lot you go back to 2021 and say where was tyler o'neill in the auction calculator just a season ago he was almost a 25 dollar player he was right there next to kyle tucker he was a within a dollar of aaron judge a, a year ago so that's a pretty good player to target when there's going to be a discount both in, in short and long-term leagues i'm actually actively trying to trade for tyler o'neill right now just trying to right flip pitching for hitting Reynolds, by the way, is is pretty oatmeal-y. Uh, he went with a 93 ADP last year, and you're saying that in your draft just now, that sounds like around a round of 90 ADP. Yeah, that's about Returned. that. And so he went uh, back end of the top 25 uh, in terms of ADP, and he returned the 25th, 24th best uh, value. So he's like, you got exactly what you paid for, guy. I think with Brian Reynolds, too, if you play in an OBP league, it gets a bump because mm. you look at what he's done in that category. I mean, he's had walk rates of 8.4% or better in each of his four seasons in the big leagues. Career is 9.8%. He's a career 281, 361, 481 hitter. It's really mm. good. How many players have better slash lines than that in the last four seasons? Pretty short list. Yeah. I wish he didn't call Pittsburgh home. Yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh itself isn't bad, but the team around him is still bad. So it's, but the park is not that great. It's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, imagine what he would do in a, a more hitter-friendly environment. And maybe they will trade him this offseason. It's possible. Yeah, that's true. Um, it is uh, a little bit friendlier to right-handers. So, um, you know, he gets a little boost when he, when he bats from that side. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So beyond that uh, early cluster of outfielders that we've been talking a lot about today, you know, you go down, you mentioned a few of the guys that are going to slip a little bit. This sort of was the 16 to 30 range, had a few guys really jump up. I guess we can include Julio Rodriguez as part of that too. His final ADP ended up being 112, and there were some leagues where he went much earlier than that even. And people that were in on Rodriguez, even at the rapidly rising price during draft season, ended up being very right because now we're talking about a guy that goes in the first round of a lot of leagues. It's kind of funny, though, if you go through this group, Nick Castellanos, I expect him to come down in homers because, of course, leaving Cincinnati, why wouldn't he? He crashed harder than I expected. I'd actually look at him more as a, a 2023 rebound candidate now. It's, it's so strange to have a player that you you don't like, and you like him, you don't like him, <laughs> like him again. It's just constantly fluctuating based on Everyone how Everyone has a, good, has a price him. that works, you know? Yeah, so I think I'm in on Castellanos. I didn't have a lot of Chris Bryant this year. He got hurt, I think, coming off the injury and thinking about a discount for him. I'm in there. George Springer probably slides a little bit. That late injury he had in the playoffs was pretty scary, but fortunately it looks like he's going to be okay. Eloy goes in that range. Is there a surgery involved with that, though? Uh, I haven't, haven't seen for sure. We'll have to take a look at that. Uh, Randy Arozarena ended up being undervalued. And we've talked about some of the concerns with his propensity to chase pitches outside the strike zone. So I'm curious, after a really productive season from him, where he ended up finishing as a top 10 outfielder, $25 player, uh, how aggressively are you willing to pursue Randy Arozarena in 2023? Uh, yeah, I have. I ended up with a fair amount of shares just because I thought, you know, it may be up and down it can be a little bit ugly with him in terms of he's a pretty streaky guy uh but he ended up almost exactly where he did before he even stole more bases this year um and that makes me feel pretty good about him yeah you know his chase rate is still pretty high but for the amount that he chases he makes a good amount of contact i think he could he could settle in and walk more uh next year again uh but uh, I would just buy a pencil him in for 26, you know, 2020, pay for that and hope you get that steals boost again. Yeah. 260, think, 2020. Sorry. Yeah. I think that's going to push him up closer to probably where Mullins was going this draft season inside the top 40 overall. Is probably I think where, he'll go up after the season. I think he's going 32 up. 32 stolen bases. Yeah. Oh, I think he's, I think he's way, way up because of the bags. Hmm. And I think. A Rosarena versus Cedric Mullins is probably the early round speed decision people are going to be making. Yeah, in terms of uh, big surprises that ended up uh, top 30 outfielders, um, I've got Julio, Julio Rodriguez, uh, Adolis Garcia, or is it Adolis? Adolis Garcia, Michael Harris, Stephen Kwan. Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Anthony Santander, Taylor Ward, Ian Happ, 
Hunter Renfro, Alex Verdugo, Jock Peterson, Tommy Pham, and Charlie Blackman. That's a fair amount of guys. You know, those are all top 30 by the Fangraphs auction calculator, and they all were taken after pick 150. So, you know, there's big, there's some guys that were drafted. Uh, I think Garcia, you know, Renfro, Verdugo, uh, they were drafted. Fam and Blackman were drafted for the most part. Uh, I don't think that we can necessarily see every Michael Harris coming. You know, <laughs> I don't think that we should necessarily uh, invest in every Stephen Kwan type going forward. You know, um, there are going to be lots of other guys that come up with minuscule strikeout rates that don't play as well as he did, you know. And to be fair, something that separates him from a lot of guys with minuscule strikeout rates is he also has a really good walk rate. There's a lot of guys who have really low strikeout rates that just swing at everything and just have that elite hit tool and have lived that way their whole lives. He's a little bit more discipline plus elite strikeout rate plus steals. So... I think if you find that package, maybe invest in it going forward. But I don't, and I'm saying this as a guy who drafted Stephen Kwan as part of why, you know, I won AO Labor. I don't think that we need to like write an article about the next Stephen Kwans. You know what I mean? I think those players are very difficult to even find in full time big league roles. A lot of yeah. those guys end up being utility players. A lot of times, guys that strike out that little, they play on the infield and they can play multiple spots and they're a little bit more like a, like a David Fletcher type player. But the thing that I, I believe that made Stephen Kwan really good is that he stole more bases than I expected. He was 19 for 24 as a base stealer. Do you think that's repeatable? Do you think that's something that the Guardians continue to do? Do you think that's something he continues to do? He's young enough where I'm not really, he's 25. I'm not really worried about him pumping the brakes on steals. He, he's a good runner. It seems like a thing they have to do as a team to manufacture runs, and it seems like something he can do to help <clears> offset <throat> some of his limitations with in-game power, right? If you don't hit a ton of extra, you don't get a ton of extra base hits, you're on first base a lot, and you have the speed, great. Turn those singles into doubles. That makes all the sense in the world. So I actually, I'd be close to another 19 steal season if you told me to project Stephen Kwan's stolen base total today. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland third in uh, the big leagues, and then we, we're going to get some changes that are very pro-stolen base next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my general rule is that, you know, those guys that stole more than 15 bags, uh, they're going to steal more next year. So I think, uh, I think he's going to be fine. And I think, the, I think the Guardians, this is part of their plan, make a lot of contact and run around the bases. A lot of the names that you mentioned, it just came down to having clear, regular roles. I mean, Hunter Renfro, I feel like did everything pretty well, but nothing exceptionally well. I guess you could argue that a 29 homer season with this ball was good, especially when it was in 125 games, right? He didn't max out playing time. But I look at that profile and I think there's a lot of variance in a player like that. We saw it in the shortened season, especially we saw it before he really gained that sort of consistency in San Diego way back in the beginning of his career. The difference for me now though, with Renfro versus early career Renfro is he has cut the K rate down. He's been in the lower 20% range each of the last two seasons during his time with the Red Sox and Brewers. So this does look like a pretty steady profile 
And if the lineup around him gets better, either because of improvements in Milwaukee and he stays there or he gets traded to another team that's got a better offense, the counting stats could actually tick up a little bit. He looks a bit oatmeal-y, a bit like a metronome player where you kind of know what you're going to get. But I do think that lower K rate gives me a lot more confidence in him now than I had a few years ago. I don't know, man. I think I'm going to continue my string of missing on him <laughs> six years in a row. Uh, the problem for me is just the combination of walk rate and strikeout rate. You're right, though. That's interesting that the last two years combined, he's been around 23% strikeout rate. That is much lower than I would have expected before I looked at his page. Just he is going to be a low batting average power guy. I will take him if I've kept my batting average high and I've been doing my little steals, steal, steal, steal stuff, and I think I've gotten enough. And I did find myself a little low in power this year. So I think uh, maybe I'll maybe I won't miss on Hunter Redpro this year. Kind of swinging back into that Quan profile for a minute, Jeff McNeil. What yeah. do you do with Jeff McNeil? What do you learn from a player like this? He's shown the ability to hit for a high average in the past. It's come with a good walk rate because he walks enough to take a, a nice boost on that before. Clearly, these are skills that he owns. The The 23 home runs we saw back in 2019, that's a, that's a great... If you're going to put a plaque in the year of the rabbit ball section at Cooperstown, Jeff McNeil's 23 home run season might be a, a really nice thing to commemorate on that plaque. He doesn't steal a lot of bases, but the average is exceptional. The OBP is good, and the counting stats are solid. How rosterable is a player like this in a in a mixed league, a typical mixed league? I mean, it's tough. I I had him on good teams and sometimes struggled about whether or not to actually put him in the lineup because, especially in the late in the season, you're like, hey, I'm looking for homers or steals, man. You know, like my batting average is set. He'd be the kind of guy that I would love to like, you know, do like uh draft in a league that had trades. Cause then I could I could use him to pump up my batting average in the first half and then sell him to someone who needed to improve their batting average. But it is a detriment to your homers and steals. And if it's late in the season you're looking for homers and steals, and he's like he didn't even end up being that great in runs in RBI. Yeah. So you couldn't, you couldn't be like, all you'd be putting him in for is hits, really. Um, I, I do think that, uh, with Quan and McNeil and looking forward, I would think that there is a sort of baseline power you still want to see before you invest in somebody like this. Uh, I think they reach it. And I think the real, the magic number might be around 100. A 100 ISO suggests to me that you can hit the ball out of the park sometimes. Anything I'm, under that, I'm like, that's like 20 grade power. I'm not sure I'm interested. And he's done that. He's had an ISO over 100 every year he's been in the big leagues. So he satisfies that requirement. Ended up being almost a six-war season for McNeil. So there's the real-life value that drives the playing time. That ends up being good. Looking at the auction calculator for all hitters and just sorting by the amount of value generated by batting average, only Freddie Freeman ended up generating more wow. value in the average category than Jeff McNeil. That list, the top guys in average, it's Freeman, Jeff McNeil, Paul Goldschmidt, Luis Arias, who's another kind of McNeil-type player, Judge, Abreu, Xander Bogarts, Nathaniel Lowe, Trey Turner, 
Manny Machado, Yoran Alvarez, and then Stephen Kwan. Those are the only 12 players in a 15-team league that earned $5 or more from their contribution in batting average alone. But McNeil is second at $8, and he was only he was only a positive value contributor in one other category. It was in runs. And he was just barely a positive value contributor in that category. So for me, like I, I was a little bit of a dummy question. It wasn't like a you can't roster him in mixed leagues. It's a if you roster him in mixed leagues, you need to put the right types of players around him because you get excessive value in yeah, one spot you could, and you're a little underperforming in the others. You could pair him pretty nicely with Renfro, I guess. <laughs> right? I mean, that technique goes back to, I think one of the first times I talked about it was years ago with Todd Zola on the, the Rotowire pod. And he was saying, give me DJ LeMahieu and Joey Gallo together on the same team and just mush those two players together. I don't usually play that way. I find that I end up with players like McNeil and Arias when nobody wants them and they're good glue guys. And I end up using them more than I expect to. But when the price goes up because they just had a good season, that's when I tend to just back off and and try and find the next one. If there is a next one out there. I mean, I think the obvious next one could be Nick Madrigal, but um, I don't know. He fails my 100 ISO test. And um, I just think that's a little bit meaningful. I've had, you know, major league hitting coaches tell me they just don't think he's going to make it because you can knock the bat out of his hands, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, 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 it'll be fascinating to watch if you can make it work with that, that little uh, power. I mean, he has a 0.4% barrel rate. Uh, in 552 plate appearances, I've never seen a zero in the first uh, part like that. Is there? Can you think of anybody else? Uh, I'm gonna go to really check out Victor Robles's page. Oh shush! You be quiet. <laughs> I'm gonna go at least 30 plate appearances last year, and I'm gonna sort by K rate. Let's see, Estudio, if you got a shot, Fletcher, Arias, we've mentioned. Will Brennan? Well, even McNeil for his career has 3.4% barrel rate. The hard hit rate is about 10 percentage points higher for McNeil for his career than it is for Nick Madrigal. So, Will Brennan actually doesn't strike out either. That's interesting. <laughs> I like when we make discoveries during the show. Uh, Wander Franco is part of it's part of why we we love him, you know, uh, because we think that we could you could add you could put power together with that. That's strike out right. Um, what what do you think uh, Nico Horner see I yeah. do believe in Nico Horner well he's a little more like Quan where he's been running too so yeah. there's there's an extra thing that he already does that that alone gives him value I want to have him on some rosters next year so this later group of outfielders like the non top 100 guys based on ADP it, I, mean, I guess you know Julio was part of that and you mentioned like what do we learn from the surprises I I don't think you can take prospects in any given year. When prospects are bad, I don't think you can say, don't invest in prospects. And when prospects mm. are good, I don't think you can say, you must invest in prospects. I think you have to look at players for what they can do individually. How dominant were they at each level of the minor leagues? What did they bring to the table in terms of, of production relative to their age? I think that's, for me, that's been the best way to understand when to take those chances and when to let someone else take those chances. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, but I, I do think that maybe coming off of a season in which we saw a lot of players debut, many of them have success almost instantly. 
there is a temptation to be more aggressive with the group of players that comes up the following year. And I would say to be cautious about that, if only because I'm not sure the next group of young players hitting the big leagues in 2023 is nearly as deep as this, since we saw so many players debut. Um, so there's that sort of concern. But also, like this year's success doesn't mean next year's success is sure to follow. doesn't mean that it won't either, for the sake of just putting that out there. Uh, but I, I do think we kind of saw a special class of players come through in 2022. Yeah, I mean, Harris and, and Rodriguez uh, were pretty special. I, I, you know, in my main, I got him super late. Um, you know, I don't want to learn the wrong thing. And, you know, I got Rodriguez again in the uh, 26th round. I don't want to be like, oh, that really worked for me last year. And I'm going to take him in the 15th, you know, the prospect in the 15th. It's still uh, disbelief that he went that late. I can't, I mean, I, I just can't believe it. Like, I, I think you need, yeah. I don't even know if the screenshot and tweet it or anything, but I, I blows my mind that he was going that late. So, you know, who could even, a lot of these guys came up. Jackson, do you think Jackson Churio could come up next year? No, he's too young. Anything's possible, right? I mean, it's just like, uh, for the outfield especially, Drew Jones is a no. James Woods is a no. Yeah. Maybe Curse we get Colton Kowser. Does Colton Kowser join the Orioles outfield? Curtis Mead is listed as an outfielder some places in third, third base somewhere else. Uh, yeah. He's really close. But Mead is not – I don't think Mead is – I've seen people uh, put together big packages uh, for Curtis Mead alone. Um but I I don't think of him. He's definitely not in the same prospect category as Julio Rodriguez. Not yet. Mm. Is he in the same packet? You know, place where Michael Harris was. Maybe. You know, could take off. Uh, he's twenty two already, though. I I don't think Curtis Mead is is. I think actually next year in the outfield in particular uh, does not look like a big year for prospects. No, I'm using our. If you're not counting, if you're not counting uh, Corbin Carroll, right? If we're counting guys who haven't debuted yet only, then it's a shorter list. Our friend James Anderson has the ETA tags on on players on his prospect list, so he's got Chorio, Kowser, Aaron Zavala in the the Rangers organization, Brennan Davis, who might have debuted this year if he hadn't been hurt, George Valera. And then Sal Freelick, another strange player in the Brewers organization with that low K rate. But with Freelick, we've seen, seen a little bit of power in, in the minors this year, non-zero power. And we've seen speed. We've seen the, the Stephen Kwan-esque contributions on the base paths that at least give us that extra category to have a reason to like him for. But it's a question of how does he fit in their playing time mix, given that they traded for Estrie Ruiz, given that they, again, have Renfro and Yelich. Have a couple other guys that they want to keep playing. I don't know. I don't know how they make those pieces fit. I, I assume that roster is going to be one that goes through some change. Yeah, it was a disappointing year for them. I, I, I actually think that group is a decent round to be buying in the twenty sixth round, right? Because the what I want to what I the magic I want to repeat is guy who is performing in spring training that has a near ETA that might break camp with the team. Right. So I want to look at that list and follow them along through spring training and pick somebody off that list because, you know, 
in the 26th round, you're not likely to have that guy all year. That's a very not likely player that's going to stay with you all year. And if if you drop him in the in the second week or the third week, you know, you and, and I think also guys that you that will you can tell a little bit about where they put them in the minor leagues if they might come back up after two or three weeks. You know, there's always like the two or three week one. And then there's like the six week one where prospects come up. And then if they don't come up after that, then it's like, you know, two months. So, you know, I might take Churio if he's, you know, looks like he's knocking the door down. And then keep him two or three weeks. And if they don't bring him up, then, you know, I got to move on. And Choriel is going to be 19 in March. I that just... seems aggressive. Honestly, that his James has got an ETA of this year on him? Of 2023. And he, he got six games in double A at the end of the season. So he did reach double A. Maybe that's like a September ETA or something. Yeah, oh, and that's a whole year. So anything's possible in, in the range. I you know, could ask him about that at some point. I think it's very hard in a mixed redraft league based on what we've got right now to use one of those spots on Chorio. I, I think yeah. I think he's more of an in-season pickup for mixed leagues. If you're in an NL only league, you want to throw him in the reserve list, one of your last reserve picks. I am not going to talk you out of that because I like to play that way. But uh, I would not go overboard. He's exciting. He's definitely a very exciting player. But they want to make sure they get the timing right. They want to make sure he's solved all, all the possible big issues in the upper levels of the minor leagues before they give him a shot, given what, how young he is. What about some of these boring guys that jumped up? Um, mm. You know, they may not jump up in the rankings next year. I'm thinking of, uh, I think Renfro fits here, but Santander and um, Taylor Ward, um, maybe even a Jock Peterson, who's like got to be surprising uh, top 30 outfielder, you know? Do you? Yeah. I, I think Santander went in the 10th round of the early draft that I did. Seems about right within the 130, 150 Ward, range. Ward went lower. They Ward had went like in the ninth. Almost the same Ward, value. Same, okay, same team drafted both. Well, really? They were really going for the like mid career breakouts. Yeah. And then uh, Joey Manessis went in the late part of round nine. Oh, late season pop up guy that I don't know. I get I get a real uh, wh- who's the uh, first baseman for the um, I saw yeah, his yeah. bat actually. He's not. A, I, I thought he would be like the Cubs. Who's the Cubs first baseman that broke out? At Frank Schwindel. Yeah. Frank Schwindel. Manessas does have the low walk rate like Frank Schwindel, um, and he does not strike out like Frank Schwindel, but he has much better barrel bad ball quality stats than Schwindel did. But I do I do think 30 years old, broke out for a bad team, there's a, like a very high likelihood of regression for him. I doubt I'll if, if I'm paying 11th round prices, I doubt I'll have a lot of uh, shares of Johnny Messes. It's one of those things. It's a great story already, and I hope I'm wrong. I think it's strange that he didn't get a shot somewhere else sooner. Sometimes teams miss. Sometimes the whole league Misses on a player, but I still see it more likely. It took a really, really bad team for him to get a shot. <laughs> and there's probably some sort of reason. Yeah, but to your point, the the reasons you could argue that it's different is that it's a smaller, even smaller uh, window of playing time for Manessis. Only a little smaller than what Schwindel did in his debut with the Cubs last year. Definitely a better, better barrel rate. Better barrel rate. 
better O swing percentage and even yeah, better hard hit rate. Kind of swings at everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe a little bit better on the pitch selection. I don't think there's any reason to believe the the Nationals would at least give him a shot to begin the season as an everyday player again. Like there's no urgency to give that spot to anybody else in the organization currently. So why not see if you did find they're, they're not even as far along as the Cubs were. You're right. Like the Cubs found better people to give at bats to, right? Mm-hmm. I don't actually see that for the Nationals. Yeah. So I, I don't think I want to take him quite as early as he went in that early draft, but I don't think he's undraftable. I don't think he's a player you'd want to completely ignore, even though I, I got the same vibes you did. I was like, this is a little bit like that Frank Schwindel scenario where this guy comes up late on a bad team, had pretty good minor league numbers, but got his chance at a really old age and, and did some good things with it. Did enough to at least earn the opportunity for next season. Anything else you could think about here in the outfield? I mean, there were pop-up guys even beyond the prospects. And that Jake McCarthy draft slot was much higher than I expected, even though he was really good. I mean, how much do you trust some of these guys that are, they weren't top-level prospects, but they weren't non-prospects either, because that's exactly where McCarthy was. Like, I think he was more of a like an organizational top 10 list sort of guy as opposed to an overall top 100 list sort of player. I think I just uh, pieced out on McCarthy because I saw the 2021 double A strikeout rate, 29.5% uh, in the 2021 major league one with 32%. I was just like, man, this guy, uh, you know, maybe able to steal a bunch of bases. I don't know. The power is a question mark for me. And then, uh, you know, the batting, if the batting average is power question mark, then he fits too much in the like very flawed stolen base guy category. And I, there's still a chance he's there, you know, the 21% strikeout rate he had this year in the big leagues is still one of the lowest strikeout rates he's ha- ever had, you know? So that does give me some pause where like 13.3% swing strike rate, you know, 21%. Strikeout rate, like, do these things fully mesh? Hmm. Um, so I, 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 I find myself thinking that his batting average is a little bit risky next year. Um, and his batted ball stats do not uh, suggest that he will hit much more than 10 to 15 homers next year. Yeah, I think you're drafting him as a, a speed first guy that has risk of falling into a big side platoon, depending on how competitive the team is. And they've got a lot of outfielders. Yeah. Um, the other weird thing about Jake McCarthy's 98th percentile in sprint speed, which is amazing. So the bag should be there. The raw speed is great. I think we saw the efficiency this year, 23 for 26 plus another 11 for four during his time with Reno. I mean, 30 steals with the full season where the plate appearances, I have no problem with that whatsoever, but that sprint speed, Marker on the Savant page is the only, only red, truly red dot on the page. He's 53rd percentile in expected batting average, and everything else is bottom half. There is a lot of blue. Yeah. If Jake McCarthy were a watery beer, he'd be cold. (laughs) So that is a little bit of a concern to see all that blue ink on the Savant page. Yeah, um, there are some. He he's also uh, he had 354 uh, plate appearances and still managed uh, to be a top 50 outfielder. Um, there are some other interesting names that um, that snuck in the back end here. 
uh, right around Tyler O'Neill and Byron Buxton. Uh, Seiya Suzuki uh, is a name that pops for me. I think this guy just had his first year where he got his his struggles out. When I look at an 11% bail rate, uh, top 10 type uh, chase rate, uh, strikeout rate that kind of went up and down, um, and uh, power that you know kind of went went and came back, and he had some injury, uh, nine stolen bases. I'm I don't want to say I'm targeting him because it always depends on what the price is, but I overall think this was a very decent rookie season from Suzuki and promise of more. Like I I think he'll have a better year next year. And if, even if he just did what he did this year over the full course of a season, you're talking about a 260 average with 20 homers and 12 steals. Yeah, lost some time with an injury. I think you're right about the underlying numbers. Makes a lot of good swing decisions. You can see that in the quality of his plate appearances when you get to watch him throughout the season. Uh, I'm in. I, I think he was the end of round 10 in that league that I keep referencing. So that's like kind of McCarthy-esque time, right? Yeah, a little after McCarthy, a little after Manessis, a little after yeah. Santander. Yeah, I'm taking Suzuki over all those guys, 100%. Yep, yep. I, I'm with you. I mean, I think Suzuki versus his teammate, Ian Happ, is actually a pretty tough toss-up. But I think I would actually prefer Suzuki, even though the way Happ got there, as we talked about earlier in the year, different path to a similar sort of overall value. You know, less swing and miss. Uh, a little less home run power compared to the previous season, but right in line with his career norms in terms of his overall offensive value. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think I might still take Hap over Suzuki just because there's that potential of putting the double-digit barrel rate together with this new strikeout rate, you know? Uh, there's a potential for a career season. and um, But... There's that potential in Suzuki too, and he he had the barrel rate last year with the same strikeout rate, you know. So maybe maybe you just want a full healthy season from Suzuki, whereas Hap has struggled with health too. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that Hap is more likely to have a full season than Suzuki next year. Yeah, I think if you want to start telling yourself a story about a, a Cubs step forward in 2023, it's that Suzuki and Hap are both there in Hap's case and uh, healthy and kind of putting all of those skills together. And I, I wouldn't bet against at least one of them doing it. I think there's a good chance that both can actually do it going forward. Anything else in the outfield that caught your eye? Cody Ballinger still made 10 bucks according to the auction calculator. I first suggested it, I want to say maybe in June or July. I'm not convinced that Cody Bellinger avoided a non-tender. Yeah. I really, but I mean, they couldn't. I'm also him. not convinced that that's not a good thing for him and that he might go somewhere with uh, just a different voice. I mean, he's obvious, and I'm not criticizing Van Skoyak or, or any of the hitting coaches in LA because they're, they're really good. Um, but they're not getting through to him or, or something's not working. And I just think just a new approach for him might, might, there's obviously been better in him. And just looking at his chase rate alone, like there have been seasons where he was good at chase rate and then he became league average, mm-hmm. you know, and the seasons where he was good at chase rate, he made more contact. So maybe he just decides, needs to decide what he's going to be 
you know? Maybe he's stuck between being a power hitter and trying to make contact. Given all that we have seen, and not knowing where he's going to play, are you in on Bellinger in the early part of draft season if he's a fringe top 200 overall sort of pick? Yeah, I'm going to buy some picks. I, I mean, I feel like I could be making a mistake and I'm giving him too much credit. And There are people who uh, have totally written him off and they're smart people and I respect them, <laughs> but I'm just not willing to write off He's 27, dude. He's 27. He had an MVP season. Like, I'm not willing to write it off yet. It wasn't that long ago. No, <laughs> it really wasn't. Three, three years, years ago. ago. 14 for 17 is a base dealer, too. Big part of why he got that value. Counting stats were good, of course, because the offense is excellent. And top 19 home runs, even around all those flaws. So at that price, I think if I they let him, him too. And if they let him go, people will sign up. Like, I think even the Giants, like anybody, like, let me look at this, the center field depth chart as it is right now on Fangraphs. I might be screwed up because of playoffs. No Teams maybe. teams take a chance on players with a lot less offensive ceiling. The Rockies have Jonathan Daza yeah. slated for center. The Reds have Mike Ciani slated for center. Without Buxton, the Twins have Gilberto Celestino. Like, wouldn't you be like, yeah, Bellinger and Buxton, you know? Boom. All, all all the teams in need of a center fielder would be interested for the defense alone. I, I think the issue for the Dodgers is just it's not that they can't afford the price. It's that you're talking about a guy that has struggled for the better part of three years now that they have not been able to fix that is going to take a, a significant share of of your payroll, even though and they have a, a lot of sort of payroll discussions. To, you know, they do they want to sign trade turn? You know, like there's they've got some money to spend. Right, and I don't know if you can necessarily trade Bellinger because I'm not sure someone else wants to put $20 million Prospect in plus the cash, you know? Yeah, so maybe that's you get a small thing back and that's all you can get. But anyway, I would not be surprised if Cody Bellinger is playing somewhere else in uh, 2023 after this very weird season. That is going to do it for this episode of Rakes and Barrels. If you'd like to give us a follow on Twitter, you can do that. Eno's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you got a question for a future episode, anything review-related is very much in play as we continue this series here over the next few weeks. If you would like a subscription to The Athletic, they're a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. We're back with you next week. I'm going to go blow my nose. I mean, thanks for listening. <laughs>